0: Okay, you're turning with me this morning to the gospel according to St. Luke chapter 9. The gospel according to Luke chapter 9. And you may be wondering like, hey, I thought, I thought year A, which is the liturgical cycle that we're in, uh, is all about Matthew. And it is, except for on this day. This is a feast day. This is... ...a big day for us. It's a special day. It's the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And so uh, the lectionary readings have us jumping over to Luke chapter 9. So when you've found that, uh, go ahead and stand with me... ...as we read our gospel reading. We always stand for the gospel reading. Notice these words. This is the word of God. This is Luke 9 and then drop down to verse 28. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James... ...and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying... ...the appearance of his face changed... ...and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men... ...Moses and Elijah talking to him. They appeared in glory... ...and were speaking of his departure... ...or of his exodus... ...which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter... While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray now that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words this morning would now help us to hear your voice today. We pray in your name. Amen. And you can be seated. The transfiguration of Jesus reveals a new light of who Jesus is. And that seems pretty apparent to anybody that's ever read the Transfiguration, which, by the way, appears in all three of the synoptic Gospels. You remember which ones those are, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of them have this account, and they differ in what they add to the story, and it's neat to go and compare them. We won't do that today, but each of the stories show Jesus in this new light. But, but I would like to say this. <laughs> it's not Jesus who changes so much as the disciples who, whose understanding changes, whose vision of Jesus changes. For God doesn't change, right? He's never changing. He's always the same. He's always glorious, and he's always brilliant light. But wrapped in the flesh, they couldn't see it. Not many saw it until they see it on this day. And the curtain is sort of pulled back where they can see Jesus in a clearer way. And I'm wondering if today we need to see Jesus in a clearer way. And get this. Here's the cool thing about Jesus, just like with people. We can always know more. You ever notice that? It's like you would imagine Jessica and I have been married for 19 years and going on 20. Uh, Just heard Bill and Lisa, 35. Look at there. And, and some of you maybe more, okay, which is great, like... But have you ever, have you ever just said to yourself, yep, I'm, already, I'm done with Jessica, like, you know, I already know everything there is to know about her. No, of course not. Like, that's ridiculous. That's impossible, right? And yet, that's what makes our relationship so good. Like, I'm continuously seeing her sometimes in a new light. For instance, when I got married to her, I saw her one way, right? When we had children... I remember going through the birthing process, not me, but with her, right? Um, and man, I'm like, wow. Like, if you've ever watched your wife give birth to your children, that shows them in a new light. I, I had a deep respect for women that is still going on to this day. Like, that's a lot, right? It's a lot that happens there, okay? And if you don't know, then you don't know. But if you do, you do. And it's a lot. And it's awesome. Like bringing another person. That's how we all got here. Okay? And it's like, wow, I saw Jessica in a new light that day. But you know what? I've seen her go through difficult times. Kind of the person peeking out from her tears. And I saw her in a new light. Do you know what I'm talking about? A new light. We even talk about it that way, right? We, we say of people, you know, oh, I see them in a new light. Now I see you in a new light. That's what's happening here. My son, Jackson, right? I was holding him as a little baby, and now I can't hold him at all, and he was standing right here preaching the word of God last week. Like, if you don't know that's seeing somebody in a new light, that's a whole other level of new light. Like to see my son now reasoning and having thoughts of his own that are not mine, and I'm saying, that's actually a pretty good point, buddy. I got to give it up, you know? Also having someone constantly critiquing my own sermons every day because they're now a third preacher that's in the room is also interesting, right? We do this a lot. No, we? we see people in new light. And this is what's happening in our story. Jesus is transfigured before them and they, they notice, they see him. In a new light. Jessica already was generous. She was already self-giving. She was already able to do th- bring another person in the world. But seeing it helped me see. Do you see what I mean? It's the same way, right? Like There's this veil sometimes that is over who Jesus is. We have wrong ideas about who God is. And they're all over the place. We think that... It's all about how well I can do. You know, it's playing the game of what I do. And therefore, you will bless me if I do good. Or if I do bad, you will not. Like, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. That's not the way this works. That's not the God we serve. He is a gracious God that he gives his grace. You're not going to like this. He gives his grace to the good and the bad. Today, there's really bad people that are enjoying A lot of good things in this life. And all good things come from God. And you can get mad about that, but guess what? I'm one of them. And I dare say that you probably are too. If there's anything good in your life, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that woman over there or my kids or this position at this church. But he gave it to me. And I'm going to steward it as best I can. And sometimes we play that game where, oh, it's just about getting the next greatest and latest. Man, like, if I could just submit to you, that is a game you'll never win. You'll never win that. It's not worth playing. I like to play games I can win. Do you know what I mean? If anybody's ever played stuff with me, like, as soon as I figure out I'm not good at it, guess what? I'm not going to play anymore. You know, I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but, like, you invite me back. Hey, let's play that board game. I'm like... No thanks, I've got a little something going on, you know, tonight, like nothing. But it's better than that. And so, you know, I like to play games that I can actually win at. And guess what? We can play the game of life the right way when Jesus is our goal. Because we were all made to be like him. Do you see what I mean? In other words, we can be like him because we were created in his image... ...after his likeness, and Jesus becomes one of us... ...to make a way back to being like him who is filled with the Spirit. Now the term here, when it says he was transfigured... ...is, is actually the term where we get metamorphosis from, right? Meta, beyond, morphe is form. So he goes beyond his form. You see the, they see the form of just a man, right? Like if you looked at Jesus, we need to get this clear... Because sometimes we have this image in our head and maybe the chosen is helping this a little bit. But we think that when he enters the room, we hear angels in the background. Ah, You know, that wasn't the way it happened, right? He didn't have a halo as he's often pictured in art, which is just symbolic in art. But he didn't have a halo and walk around like, oh, yeah, oh, there he is over there. You know, we lost him in a crowd, but oh, there he is. You can tell because of the halo. No, no, it wasn't like that. He looked just like any one of us. The scripture says he wasn't awesome looking with skinny jeans and the holes in them. He wasn't also super poor so much that you're like, whoa, take a shower, man. He was somebody that would have fit in in any single room. Except he was God. God who had slipped in and now reveals himself pulling back the curtain just a bit. And all of a sudden he is transfigured before them in glory. Glory which this term glory has to do with weight. We've already sung it a few times. Actually, thank you for the the music because it went right along with this. I want to see your glory. What does that mean? I want to see you in your fullest form. Not just Jesus the human, but Jesus the God-man. He became one of us and had flesh and blood, yes, but he was also divine. He was god ...in the flesh. And so, he was transfigured... ...metamorphosis... ...you know, metamorphosis before us... ...and he became dazzling white... ...his clothes did... ...and his face shone. Notice that... ...that what's really happening here... ...are are, are three key things that I would... ...that I just want to shoot before you real quick. The first is this... ...the end... ...appears... ...before the end... (laughs) So in other words, when, when God does this, it's almost, it really reminded me when I reread this story, and I've read a lot, but I re- was rereading it this week, and it reminded me of the beginning of Job. Do you remember the beginning of Job, the book of Job? You, ever, uh, you should like the book of Job because we all go through tough times. And Job, he went through a tough time. I mean, so much so that even his own wife was like, hey, buddy, you realize God doesn't like you? You might as well curse him and get this over with because everything else in our life is falling apart. And he said, though he slay me, I'll praise him. Job was a man of faith. He saw more than what was there. But what we get in the first two chapters of Job, is kind of a the curtain pulled back. Before Job goes through his tough time, we know it wasn't God who initiated that tough time. That's really important. You saw how that worked, right? It was the accuser who came and said, no, no, Job only serves you because of what you give him. God says, okay, well, we'll take it away. By all means, goodness, just don't kill it, right? Takes away all his... What if you lost everything tomorrow? I mean, your job, house, all of... Who's going to be standing with you in the end? That's, That's the question here. Are you in this because of the blessings of God? You know, one of these things where... Oh, God, help me. I'm in this really tough spot, maybe medically or maybe financially or whatever it might be. And you start doing what's right. I'm going to start reading about promise. I'm, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to go to church. As soon as God blesses us, what do we do again? <sighs> I think I'll sleep in. No. Let's stop all the games. Like we're either in this for Jesus or we're in it for the wrong reason. He's not a slot machine. What we put in and what we put in we'll eventually get something good out of. No, no, no. He's a person. We don't treat people like that. That's manipulative. Imagine a relationship with I mean, Jessica or I, either either which way where we were I was only in it for what she could give to me. How selfish. No, no, no. We've got to be in it for Jesus only. And Jesus all the way or not at all. Don't play a game. Not with the king of the universe. He, the scripture says, is the alpha and the omega. What does that mean? He's the A and the Z, right? So, like, that's the the Greek alphabet, you know, alpha, beginning, and uh, omega is the end, right? So he's the A and the Z to all things. But now, get this, he was in the beginning, all things were created through him, by him, and for him. And yet now we know he's also at the end. Like he's, he's going to be at the end. We've read Revelation before. But now he appears in the middle. Right in the middle of our mess. Right in the middle of revealing himself to the disciples. <laughs> he appears in this unique way to show the end. And we need that. We need a vision of the end. I'm more convinced than ever that we need to know what the end looks like. And it's not being ephemeral ghosts floating around playing harps, listening to elevation worship music. That is not, that is not the end, okay? Can, I, can we just go ahead and erase that from our mind? We're getting a new body. Can anybody say amen? amen. I mean, I'm thankful for my body and stuff, but things, you know, I often have a backache, right? No more backaches. Some of you have way more serious issues than a backache, right? We're getting a new body. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth so that if you like playing in God's creation, like you think the warm sun this morning was awesome with the dew across there and the birds chirping and this sort of thing, then guess what? It's going to be that on steroids for us. Like the end is a beautiful thing, but the end with a capital E is Jesus himself who knows how to give us the best gifts because they come from his father. And he teaches us to receive them just as he did in his earthly life. Do you know the end from the beginning? Because trust me, sometimes in the middle, we get lost. Sometimes in the middle, we get confused. Sometimes life hits us so hard that we get disoriented. We forget where we are and what we're doing. Why are you in this? If it's not for Jesus, we should reconsider. Count the cost. And if it is for Jesus, get this, there's going to be suffering in the middle. He tells us as much, doesn't he? What is the symbol for Christianity but a cross? That's on purpose. And that's not to be you know, just an embroidered, Nice-looking thing. It's an awful reality what the cross is. It's an awful reality. And we wear it and sometimes forget that it is great suffering and ultimately death. And that's what he's welcoming us into. He says, count the cost. If you don't deny yourself and take up your cross, you can't follow me. How many of us are willing to do that? Deny ourselves today. Take up the cross that he's asking us to carry and follow him. You see, before we ever get to the end, the end appears right in the middle. And we are the ones who need this. We need this when we can't see quite over the ridge. Or maybe we're down in the valley and it's just really dark. Or we found ourselves in a cave like Elijah, remember? he goes and hides in a cave. Jezebel is going to try to kill him and he goes and hides. He runs all the way down, you remember, from the northern kingdom all the way down to Mount Sinai by the way. Which is kind of interesting because here Jesus is on a mountain, right? And Moses and Elijah appear. Moses was on Sinai, God spoke to him in a cloud. You remember this? And then Elijah runs down to uh, Mount Sinai. Hides in a cave, earthquake, fire, all of windstorm And then finally comes out, and God is in a whisper. He's just in a whisper. And what does it mean for him to be in a whisper? It means he's got to get close. Got to get close. Got to get close. Are we close to God? Are we making time to, to silence all that's going on in our life so we can actually hear his voice? Because his voice is not going to boom from a plane in the sky or like an earthquake. Or a raging fire. It often comes to us just in a whisper, where you got to be really close. You know how it is when you're in a big room and you need to tell your wife something like, "Look at those people over there." You know, nobody does that. You know, we're like at dinner and, and you're, somebody's being weird. You know, which is often, and it's like, "Look at them. What are they doing?" You know, you got to get close. It's like, "What? What'd, I'm sorry. What'd you say?" You know, or be like me. What? You know, <laughs> she's like, you know. <laughs> I don't always get social cues and so I miss them some of the time. How many of us have missed his voice even this week? Man, do you know what it's like to hear his voice? Because we should be addicted to hearing his voice. I need his voice in my life. You need his voice and and guess what? This is the loudest way to hear from him. And we keep it close. It's a closed book to us, Ah, you know. I hear there's a 90-day challenge coming up to read the whole Bible. Jesus appearing in the middle and showing his glory. Showing his brilliance, his weight. And God is the weightiest thing in our universe, right? He is... Notice when we talk about, you know, he is of one substance, right? Or one being. We're talking about the ground of all being. Like the fact that you are right now is absolutely dependent upon the ground of being who is God himself. He's the weightiest matter in all of the world. And he should be the weightiest matter. He should be first. He's the ground floor. Don't build your life on sand, but on the rock. The foundation. Begin today. Okay, no matter where, you, where you've come in, your, begin today with the end in mind. It's him. It's him. It's him we'll see. Amen. Do you love him? Do you know him? Man, he's so good and he's so generous. And he'll walk with you all the way into hell itself to rescue you. He descended to the dead. And then he arose from the dead. And you can too from your tomb. That's what caves are, right? Tombs. Come out of the cave. Like, come out of the cave. Remember Plato's cave? So famous. I've mentioned it before. You probably forgot it. It doesn't matter. Point is, there's artificial light in there. Listen, the real light is shining, which is the second point. Not only has the end appeared in the middle, and we're like, whoa. But now the true light is shining, and nothing can stop it. Like, this is the good news is that the light has already started shining. It's already started to get day this morning. I, I woke up, you know, and, and, and it's like the light is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, listen, you say, Pastor, have you not checked the news? I know you were out for two weeks in the wilderness, uh, you know, up there in Massachusetts and so on and so forth. But like, have you not checked the news? It's not light out there. It's dark. Okay, that's seeing what we can see with our physical eye. If we could see the kingdom of God, the light is shining and it's only getting brighter. I'm telling you, it's only getting... Listen, there was immense persecution in Iran. The place looked dark. Even when you fly over, it looks dark. Just not much there. And I have flown over it before, by the way. Not much there. And it wasn't much there spiritually until recently. And guess what? In one of the darkest... Most difficult places where if if you became a Christian in Iran, your family was going to disregard you as their son. And yet people did it anyway. And now they're doing it by the thousands. It's one of the fastest growing missions. And in Egypt, right there in the Middle East, in Muslim country, Christ is moving. And we're thinking, how? But it's darkness where we are. How is that even possible when we have so much light? An effulgence of light, brilliance of light, hyperlight where we are, and we are in darkness. That's us. That's my point. It's us because the kingdom has already come. Jesus, King Jesus, he's already landed. Landed in disguise, you might say. C.S. Lewis says in mere Christianity, right? He landed in disguise. He has started his kingdom. The light is cranked up. And it's not going to stop shining until it is full day. And that day is coming, dear friends. And I can't wait because there will be no more darkness at that point. Every shadow will flee because the true light has already come and will come in his fullness. We must be people of the day, not people of the night. Stay awake. (laughs) That's what Paul says. Because darkness and sleep, spiritually speaking are bad things. It's not time to sleep. It's time to be awake. It's time to feel the warmth of that light. And listen, we have so much artificial light in our life, don't we? And you know the difference in artificial light, right? Like, I've got this thing, this light right here, this one particularly, it must have moved it because I can't see anything up here anymore. Um, Like, you guys, I can't really see you all that well. It's not as well as I wanted to. Um, And my eyebrows must not be big enough to shade it, you know. Need some of those big ones, like I see on, online, but nonetheless, it's like that light there is about as bright as the sun. Yeah, look at there, somebody turned it up even further. But guess what? I don't feel any warmth from that light right there. That light, it's not going to help most plants grow. Ask Melissa, she's an expert at plants. Okay, some, some plants will eat by, but you know what plants really desire? You know what plants. Really desire What we really desire is the light of Jesus Christ. The warm light of Christ to thaw us out from our coldness and being old. I don't mean old as a physical age, but we get tired spiritually and we need to wake up. We need to be revived by Jesus Christ and his light because it is shining if we have eyes to see. Notice again, back to the first point we made, right? It's not Jesus who really changes here. It's their eyes who now can see him and behold him. Notice what it says. Suddenly, they saw him. They saw him in this new way. So, the true light is coming, and it's coming, get this, it's coming from God's face. Jesus is, did you notice that? It's like the spotlight of it is coming from his face, which again, is exactly where we see another person. In other words, if I'm wanting to get to know you, I don't approach you and just look at your wrist and say, Christopher, how are you doing today, man? You're like, you know, if I'm looking down at your wrist, you're like, what, what's, uh, I'm up here. Why do we think I'm up here? Why am I up here and not anywhere else? It's because the face is the focal point of the person, which is why God gives us his face. His face shines down upon us. And by the way, face in the uh, Old Testament is presence. So every time in the Old Testament in Hebrew it says the presence of God was there, it's his face. He shows up. You know, like smiling. Oh, hey, how's it going? And you know, there's almost a pressure when when we know someone is looking at us. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can almost feel it. It's like almost we have this sixth sense. You know, like you're sitting in a room and you're just like scrolling away or doing whatever, and you're like, and my wife's just looking at me like, but did I do something, right? Uh, You can almost feel when somebody is looking at you. Do you know that God is looking at you? He can see you, He sees you, He's the God who sees you. By the way, that was one of the first names given to God in the Old Testament. remember uh, Hagar? She was sent away by Sarah. You remember this? Somebody nod that this is the correct story. Okay, yeah, hey, I was sweating bullets with Hagar because uh, it wasn't in my notes, but I'm pretty sure that it was Hagar, right? Yes. Okay, good. Well, then be like this, you know? And she's like, um, "She's sent away. You're not a part of our family anymore. You're out." She was sent away to die in the wilderness. And you know what she said? She cried out to God. You remember God saved her, saved the child. You remember? Ishmael. And she says, you are the God who sees me. Do you know that he sees you? He sees you right where you are. He sees you like no one else does. Do you know what I mean? I can tell things about Jessica when she's in a room That you don't know because I know that woman. And even the little twitch of her eyebrow can tell me a lot about how she's feeling today. The voice, the inflection of her, because I watch her. Guess what? God knows you. Listen to me. God knows you. He knows me way more than any one of us can know each other. He sees you. He sees your predicament. When you don't think anybody else sees it, he sees it. He knows you. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because he, he's wanting to bring his light to your situation. He works right in here, right in our head, right in our intellect, right in our reason. Not only is his face shining here, but did you notice his clothes, right? You know, his clothes are dazzling white. It become da- What is this? Well, the, the early church fathers, uh, I love their interpretation of this. They say, it's the church. That's what it is. The clothes, it's the church. Because when Isaiah says, your sins are many, loaded down, and they've made you dirty. But guess what? By the washing of the blood, get this, they'll be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. And here, the clothes is his covering what? His body. And you know what? We are to be a city on a hill. We're to be dazzling white and pure in our intentions as the church. That's what the church does, is show forth his light. It's coming from him, yes, but it's passing through us. And this sort of dazzling white, this whiter than snow, is what we as the church are called to be. Because if there's so much darkness in the world, and there is, right? There really is a lot of dark things. But darkness is so easily done away with, by the light. It's expelled. In other words, the darkness isn't even possible without the light. That is to say, evil isn't possible without goodness. That's why we talk about evil being nothing. It is not anything to, to worry about and, and fret about. Because ultimately, the goodness of God and the light of God conquers any darkness. And it is the absence of the light, like, the, like a hole, is an absence of the fabric. It's the same sort of thing. When we turn away from him, there's darkness. When we turn to him, there's light. And it's just as simple as that. It really is. And yet it's so difficult. Trust me. We get stuck in our caves, we get used to the artificial light, and we get addicted to it. We can't get enough of it. But don't be one of the weeds. Remember, I know you covered that text. I preached about it last Sunday, I think. The wheat and the weeds, or maybe it was two Sundays ago. Actually, um, he's going to keep the. That's why you say, Pastor. When I look at the church, and they're not all that light, not that much light in here. Well, that's because he's not going to pull up the weeds with the wheat yet. Remember that was the parable he gave two weeks ago. Remember Matthew thirteen. Uh, he's not going to do it. He's going to keep them together for now. And thanks be to God he does, because guess what? I've been one of those weeds for a long time. And he kept nurturing me until I turned into a fruit producing tree, which is exactly what he wants to do with every single one of you. Every single one of us. That's what the church is to be as a great tree. Remember where the birds can come? Just a little tiny mustard seed that grows to a great tree where the birds, the Gentiles can come and rest That's the picture he has for you, fruit-producing tree, planted and rooted in what is right and what is good. Light always has to do with holiness, by the way. So this light that's coming both from Christ's face and his body, the church, always has to do with holiness, which is our fundamental call. Be ye holy as what? As I am holy, right? Which is an invitation, It's an invitation. And holiness, it brings clarity and brilliance. You know how when we, even in art, we picture what is holy as shining, you know, like the holy grail, Ah, right? And then you you show like the light on it, right? You don't do like the holy grail and it's over in in a dark corner. No, no, it's like, ah, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? Like art-wise, okay, good, because I'm not a singer, but he wants to light up our life ...highlight it because it's pointing to the light of the world. So he wants his holiness in us. He wants to share his... ...but we got to kick off our shoes like Moses did, right? Approach him properly. This is holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God's there. Is God in here? Because that's what makes one holy or not. It's not so much what we do. It's who is in us. Have you been washed in the blood? That's the way we say it like in the old song, right? Have you been washed in the blood? Like think about that. The blood, the red blood washing clothes can then make it dazzling white. And that's exactly the truth. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, the Bible says, from all sin. Isn't that what this is about right here? His sacrifice for us. This is my blood Given for you. How was his blood given? He gave up his life. And we're called to do the exact same thing. As long as we hold on to our life and grab at things in our life, I'm going to get this. I'm going to pull this down for me. No, no, no. Let's ascend the mountain. Mountain is always a place of encounter where God comes down to meet us. We go up. He comes down. And that's exactly where the encounter happens. So that when we're in the valley... So when we're trucking through the middle of the journey, guess what? We know who's still up on high. The high mountain, the city on a hill. His light is still shining from up on high. Higher than any other light. I'm pointing to my candle there. So it's the Christ candle. It's supposed to be higher than any other light. And it is. And he is. And he ought to be in your life. Finally... The witnesses, right? So the end appears in the middle, right? The light is already shining. Now, what about these witnesses? You've got Moses and Elijah who appear, right? What's the significance of Moses and Elijah but the law and the prophets, right? Moses is given the law. Elijah represents the prophetic word, okay? So you get now in Jesus, he is the law, like the law finds its fulfillment in him because he is the law in flesh. And he's the voice of God in the flesh. He's the prophetic voice, right? So both of these guys' work culminates, comes to fruition, in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we get the New Testament. Not only those two older dudes who appear from the Old Testament, right? Right? So the Old Testament rests on Jesus, but then also the New Testament rests on him. Who's there from the New Testament? Peter, John, James. That's the order it gives us today, right? Peter, John, and James. And I love what Thomas Aquinas said. He goes, why Peter? And he says, well, because Peter loved Jesus above all else. You can see it, you know. He he often tries to do the right thing. Jumps out there, says something, you're the Christ, right? Jesus' is like, man, you got it, Peter. Only God could have told you that I was the Messiah. And then Jesus says, now guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'll resurrect. Peter says, no, 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 you won't, because I can still carry, and that ain't happening. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter loved Jesus, but sometimes he was wrong. <laughs> And sometimes we're wrong, <clears throat> but, but no one can doubt the love of Jesus. You remember when Jesus after the resurrection? John and Peter are in the boat. You remember this? And it's early morning. Jesus is up there frying some fish, you know. And it's probably a brunch, by the way. It's not early morning. So. And he goes, Peter goes, or I'm sorry, John goes, I think that's the Lord. And what does Peter do? John takes his time, right? <laughs> I'm not going to get wet. I'll wait till the boat comes in. Peter dives in. You remember this? takes off his outer cloak, dives in, and swims to the beach. And this is when Jesus restores him. You remember that? Denies him three times. He's restored three times. What a beautiful. Peter, he loved Jesus with all his heart. St. Thomas says, what about John? Why is John there? He says, because John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. So Peter, we're, we're getting a little picture of someone who's, completely in love with Je- The whole thing. And, and maybe that's you. You say, yes, I, I love Jesus more than anything in the world. And you should. If you, know him, if you know him, there's no way not to. There's no way not to. He's more lovable than a baby. And he was a baby. Everybody's got to smile when they see a little baby giggling, you know? Especially the fat ones. Always, you know, little rolls. You know what I'm talking about? It's cool to be fat when you're a baby. Not so much when you're 42. Listen. John shows us that Jesus loved the disciple, John. And John never could get over this. That's why in his letter, he never mentions his name. He just says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He couldn't get over that Jesus loved him. And some of you, you love Jesus and you're expressing a love for Jesus, but you're unwilling to receive that he loves you. That really could be somebody in this room right now. is is you got down like, yes, I love Jesus. I'm so bad. I need your help. I love you, Jesus. But you won't receive his love in full. John shows us someone who's willing to receive that love and say, yes, even me, even me. And what I've done, even me, I'm going to receive your love. Do you know how to receive his love? Learn that. There's nothing like the love of Jesus and receiving his love. One is giving, the other is, and then you say, St. Thomas says, well, what about, what about James, right? James is the first martyr in the church, the first witness. You know, martyr and witness, the same word, right? When we talk about let's be witnesses, we're talking about let's be martyrs. James is the first martyr in the church. He shows us that even our very life is not worth more than Jesus. In other words, I'm willing to give all of my life to you, Jesus. And if you want to spend me right now in this moment, the whole thing, it's fine with me. I'm not holding on to my life. My life is your life. There is no difference. It's all yours. And if you want to save me until I'm 80 years old, so be it. Tomorrow, so be it. If I'm called to the table, Let's go. Let's go. Peter, John, and James, witnesses, along with Moses and Elijah, but also us. I feel like the text leaves us kind of with that note, doesn't it? We too, because we've heard this story now. And it's based on this apostolic succession of trustworthiness from the Bible, God's word we now have become witnesses that the light is shining. That the end has already appeared before the end. We get a sneak peek. The curtain is pulled back. The director himself has walked on stage and let us know that it's gonna be worth it in the end. No matter what you go through, no matter what you give up in this life, it's going to be worth it to follow him and nothing else is worth it. Nothing else is of eternal worth but Jesus only. And that's how the story ends, isn't it? Remember? Peter jumps out there, all this, and then finally, they only see Jesus alone. After the Father speaks, the cloud who is the Holy Spirit moves in. You get the triune God right here at the end affirming who he is, being kind of this final witness, and then boom, the ball is passed. The ball is passed to every single one of us. Will you be a witness? That Jesus is king. When it doesn't even look like he's king, we can see and know that he's king through faith. So, brothers and sisters, do you know the high king of heaven? Do you know the transfigured king? I pray you do, and if you don't, you can today. Turn to him. He is the light that is shining. And he wants to shine most right in here. Our heart... In our head and our hands. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit. Amen.